series called Impact, and I'm teaching a series of messages through the book of Daniel. And today, we're going to be looking at a story in Daniel chapter 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who um, find themselves in a place in their life where they're not only tempted, but they're challenged to compromise their faith in God. They're challenged and tempted to put their God on a shelf and be disloyal to him. And what it does is it ends up, because of their stance of faith, it ends up putting them in the fire. It puts their faith under fire. And what I'm going to do this morning is teach you how to handle life, how to handle crises, how to handle the moments in your life when your faith comes under fire. Here's, here's what I want to let you know. And I realized just kind of looking around the room this morning that we have some folks who are here with us for the first time, or maybe this is your second or third time with us at Rocky River. Um, and by the way, my name is Jimmy Britt. I'm the lead pastor here. But about a month ago, I had gastric bypass surgery. And I don't, I don't plan on talking about this week. I try not to say something about it too often because I don't want you to get sick of hearing about it. But I, I want to tell you that personally, this has been the toughest thing that I've ever gone through physically, mentally, even emotionally. Um, I, I ran into uh, to, to someone this past week who has heard that I've, I've had the surgery. And uh, she asked me, um, you know, how, how are you doing? How much weight have you lost? That kind of thing. And I told her, and she said, well, you're doing it the easy way. I'm still having to do it the hard way. And I wanted to just smack her. Not, not really, but I wanted to shake her just a little bit by the collar. But um, I, I said, <laughs> sometime when we have more time, you, you should come and let me talk to you about how easy this is not. I have probably grown with God over the last month more than any other year in my life as a Christian because I've had to change my dependency where I can't depend on the taco to make me feel a little bit better this afternoon so I can get these problems handled and move on past this or... I have to deal with the emotions of not being able to eat and the physical part of just hurting on the inside and those kind of things. I'm not saying all that so that you'll have pity on me. I'm telling you all this to say that I know what it's like to go through hurt and hard times and to be tempted even away from God. And I know that if I feel that way, you must feel that way too. Maybe it's not just over food, but for sure there must be times of crises in your own life where you're struggling physically or you're struggling mentally and emotionally and all of that just spills over into our spiritual life. So what do you do when those times come? 
Well, just like I've given you some real-life example this morning, this story that we're going to examine in Daniel chapter 3 is not a once-upon-a-time kind of story. These were real men who lived in a real world who faced a real-life crisis, a crisis of life and death. And everything that I've mentioned this morning, the physical parts of it, the emotional parts, the spiritual, everything is involved in it. And so we're going to learn from their example how to handle the times in our life when our life is in crisis and when our faith is under fire. Um, If you have your Bible, you're welcome to uh, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. And I've been really back and forth on this passage of Scripture, how much I'm going to read, and so I've just decided to read all of it. A lot of my buddies around here give me a hard time for how long I preach. And so I tell them what I'm telling you that, you know, sermonettes are for Christianettes. So I don't have a sermonette this morning. I don't have like a 15 or 20 minute sermon just to sort of tickle your ears a little bit. I got a message from the Lord. Now, which one do you want to hear? Do you want to hear that little 15 or 20 minute deal that you just get out of a book or preachers get offline somewhere? Do you want to hear the word of the Lord? Are you sure? Because you don't sound like you're sure. If you're sure, say amen. Amen. All right, that'll preach. Here we go. Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar had made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And I don't know if you're very good at figuring out, you know, the space of things, but 9 feet wide is about the size of the average office or even like a kid's bedroom in most homes, 90 feet tall is about the height of a nine-story building. So this is a pretty big statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image that he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial uh, provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and then they stood before it. This is what the herald said. Very loudly he proclaimed, This is what you're commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And here's a warning for those who won't. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So put the furnace in perspective. You kind of have this idea of this gold statue, nine feet wide, nine stories tall. Now, now picture the furnace. This is not like a furnace that my grandparents had in their home to keep their house warm. This is an industrial furnace. And it's probably the size of this gymnasium. And it was used for baking bricks and smelting metals, probably the metals that Nebuchadnezzar has used to build his statue. And so you're getting the picture of this, right? Nebuchadnezzar has set up this statue and he's given a mandate to the people. When you hear the music begin to play, and there won't be any mistaking it, 
You'll hear it all throughout the kingdom. And when you do, bow down and worship this image. Not because you love the image, not because the image loves you, but because if you don't, you're going to die for not worshiping it. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people's nations uh, uh, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And this is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, and they're a brown noser, you can tell, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, uh, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. These, these guys make me think of the safety patrol kids when I was back in school. These are the guys who write down the names. They're kind of like the hall monitors, the bathroom monitors. And so they're watching everybody who doesn't do everything just right, and they're writing their names down, and now they've brought them to the king. These are the guys that are not doing what you asked to do. You ought to punish them, put their name on the board. I had a, I had a bad experience with safety patrol kids when I was a kid. No offense to the kids in the room that are safety patrol. But there are some Jews... And he kind of puts this back on Nebuchadnezzar. There are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego specifically, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, and this is kind of him showing some grace and mercy to these guys because the edict was that if you didn't worship the image, you would die. But he's kind of being gracious to them. He likes these guys. They're good earners for him. They're good workers. He's been able to trust them in the past, so he's going to give them another opportunity. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, then very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And here's kind of an ooh part. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. That's a direct challenge to God. Nebuchadnezzar feels pretty good about himself, in fact, that he is a God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. If you want a scripture passage to write down or print out and put on your bathroom mirror, that's a good one. That's one that you ought to look at and see every single day. No matter what situation you're thrown into, no matter what Satan might send your way, your God, our God, the God of the Bible, is able to rescue us from it. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers of his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, uh, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar immediately, and you can just imagine how this plays out. I mean, if the guy standing at the door pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... If, they, if the soldiers burn up standing outside the door, then wouldn't you think that before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can hit the bottom of this furnace, that they're going to be dead and consumed? But immediately, King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. They're doing a head check really quick here. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace, really taking his own life in his own hands, and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. And you can only imagine. I mean, this is amazing. This is a supernatural event. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command. And so, get the, I mean, he's talking about himself. These guys defied me. And this is normally something you just want to keep quiet. But he's announcing it to everybody. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. And he's right. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. It's a powerful story, isn't it? I believe this week that God showed me five things, five things, and I'm going to give them to you kind of quick this morning, five things that help us live faithful to God when our faith is under fire. Here's number one. Do a faith check to determine if your faith is real. Do a faith check to determine if your faith is real. Listen, if it's real or if it's fake. Now, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with this first point than, than the rest, so just, just hang with me here for a minute or two, or five. Just one chapter ago, Nebuchadnezzar is praising the God of Daniel, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he had a dream, and it was a recurring set of nightmares that worried him to the point where he, he couldn't sleep. In fact, he didn't even want to go to sleep. None of the wise men that he normally depended on could tell him the dream and the meaning of the dream. And so he sent out an order to have all of the wise men of Babylon killed. Ariok, who was one of his assistants, went to Daniel to tell him that all the wise men are going to die. And Daniel asked for a meeting with the king. And in that meeting, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, I can tell you the dream and the meaning of the dream. I need a little bit of time to talk with my God. So Daniel went and got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Together, they pleaded for God, asked him to have mercy on them and give Daniel the dream and the meaning. And God did. And Daniel was able to go back to King Nebuchadnezzar and say, here is the dream and here is the meaning. And immediately, Nebuchadnezzar just burst out with, your God is the God. Your God is awesome. There is no greater God than your God. But now, in this third chapter, just one chapter later, we don't know how much time elapses here for sure, but he has already forgotten about Daniel's God. He has already forgotten about the true and living God. And do you know why? Because he's not scared anymore. The crisis is over. His faith and maybe even some faux commitment that he had made to God. His testimony about the greatness of God is over with because the crisis is over with. And I want to tell you that as a pastor, through the years, I've met a lot of Nebuchadnezzar-type Christians. I probably pastor some right now. And I know this is going to sound kind of tough this morning, but I came to preach today. I've seen a lot of people who have some kind of crisis in their life. There's something wrong with their marriage. Their business is going out. They're almost done. They're about to lose their home. Or they're having some sort of crisis with their kids. And immediately, they run to God. But almost as quickly as they run to God, once the crisis is over in their life, once they're no longer afraid of what was coming after them, they walk away. They walk away because, like Nebuchadnezzar, they don't have a true faith in God they don't know him really in a personal way, and they don't have a true commitment to God. And if you're in a crisis right now, and if you're not in a crisis, you could be on the edge of one. You need to do a gut check. You need to do a faith check and ask yourself, is my faith in God real? Or is my faith in God and my commitment to him only as long and as great as my need. 
My grandpa, who was a Baptist preacher for 40 years, used to tell this joke all the time. I've probably heard it in every revival I ever said under him. In. And it was about this guy who was uh, doing some roofing one day, and uh, he, he slipped. It was kind of a steep roof, and he started sliding down the roof and all the way down. You know, it's happened in just almost a split second, but as he's sliding down that roof, he's screaming out to God, God, help me, please. I need you. I love you. I'm sorry for my sins. And just as he's going off the edge of the roof, his belt buckle caught a nail that was sticking out of the gutter spout, and he was able to get his balance back and hold onto the roof and climb back up. He said, never, never mind, Lord, the nail caught me that's a real good picture of the way most of us commit our lives to God or not we commit to God when there's a time of crisis but listen that's not a real commitment is your faith in God real or is it just words because that will make a difference when the crisis comes here's the second thing I want you to see Being faithful to God is something that you have to decide ahead of time. Being faithful to God is something that you have to decide ahead of time, before your faith is under fire, before you are in the fire, before the crisis comes, before the temptation is poured on. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel they didn't just show up one day in captivity in Babylon and decide, you know what? I think that we're going to take our faith more seriously than we did at home. We're going to be obedient to God. We're going to trust in Him. And even if we're forced to, or, or um, the king tries to force us to worship his gods, we're going to say no. We're, we're just going to all of a sudden, now that we're in this crisis, have the faith that we need Um, in God so that he'll see us through all of this. They decided long before they ever got to Babylon that they were going to be faithful to God. And this wasn't some sort of emotional decision. This wasn't just some, a, a family decision that they had made. This wasn't even just something that was a part of the value system that they were snatched out of. I told you a couple of weeks ago when we first jumped into the series in Daniel that something happened when these men were just little boys. The king, who was now 18 years old, Josiah, he unsealed the temple. And his grandfather, who was a very evil king in Israel, had sealed the temple up so that people couldn't go and read the scrolls or worship God. But when Josiah unsealed it, the priest found the scrolls again. And the priest began to teach the people the word of God. And a revival swept through the land. And so Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they grew up during a time of revival in Israel when people were committed to God and committed to his word. And those Men now living in captivity, facing all these temptations and this crisis and a furnace, grew up believing the truth of Exodus 23 in the 10 words or the 10 commandments where God begins by saying, you will have no other gods before me. These men took that seriously and it was already in their heart and a part of their life long before the crisis of Babylon hit. As a Christian, 
you are going to be put in situations where you're tempted and challenged to compromise your faith in God. You're going to be challenged to split your loyalty. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar is doing. He's not telling these guys, you can never worship your God anymore. He's just saying, here's another God. Here are some other options. Split your loyalties. Put your God on a shelf. And they refused to do it. They refused to compromise. But the decision to not compromise was made long before the temptation and the crisis ever came in their lives. We have a lot of young people in the room this morning. I won't get you guys in here at 11 o'clock because you'll be back in the flood. So, so let, let, let me tell you guys this. And it would hold true for all the single people in the room. God says in the Bible, no, no matter how old-fashioned your culture may say this is, your friends, whoever. God says that sex is right and good and meaningful, but in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. No room for interpretation. That's what it says. But you have to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to live up to God's standards long before you're in the back seat of a car with your girlfriend or your boyfriend with your pants unbuttoned. Because once you're in that situation, the heat is on, you are in the fire, it's full-blown crisis, and it's too late. You have to make that decision before you're ever put into that situation. And that's true for all of us. And so a part of what you ought to be doing this morning is, is asking yourself, look, is my faith in God real? Am I just saying that I believe in God or does my life match up with that? And if, and if my faith in him is real, what does he want out of my life? And then you make the decision long before the crisis comes or the temptation comes, this is what God says to do in his word, and this is the way I'm going to live my life. You have to make those decisions ahead of time. Here's number three. Always remember that your testimony, your testimony is on the line. There have been times when I've read through this passage, and I've, it's, it crossed my mind even this week, putting this sermon together. Maybe you're thinking about it right now. What's the big deal for these guys? I mean, when you really think about it, they're a long way from home. Who's going to know what they do or what they don't do? Who's really going to care? I mean, l let's just... let's they. Why didn't they just say, hey, let's save the king some embarrassment. Let's save us some hurt and heartache and facing that furnace. And just when they start playing the music, look, we don't believe in the statue. We don't believe in their gods. But let's just go ahead and bow to it. Get it over. We don't have to mean it. We'll just, we'll go through the motions and just be done with that. 
Who will know? Have you wondered that? Well, let me remind you that the crisis in the story begins because there were people watching Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the astrologers, they're watching. They want to see what are these guys going to do when they're forced into this situation where they have to pick a side. Are they going to go with God? Are they going to do what we've done in our own lives? I mean, look, these guys don't want to eat the king's food. They eat their own vegetable and water diet. We saw that in chapter 1 of Daniel. These, these guys are living by their faith, and all that kind of looks good. It sounds good. But what will they do when the rubber meets the road? Will they cave? Are they smoking what they're selling? They knew that if they caved on this, they would never again be able to stand in the king's court and give their testimony about a God who is personal, that's not a statue, that is powerful, who's the only true and living God, the God who really can save, the God who really does intervene in people's lives, the God that really can be depended on. They would have lost that platform. They would have lost that sermon. They would have lost that testimony forever had they compromised here. Guys, you have to know this in your everyday life, in the decisions that you are making, standing in the line at Bloom or Lowe's, dealing with that checkout person. When you are in a restaurant and a waitress is serving you or a waiter is serving you, how you treat him or her, your testimony is on the line. I have to remember that every morning when I take my little boy James to school and I pull up in the car rider line to drop him off at Harrisburg Elementary School. I just have to keep saying my testimony is on the line. Put up the flamethrower. Keep all the windows rolled up. Don't blow the horn at these people who just can't figure out as one car pulls away, another car pulls right in behind it. It's a real simple thing, but they just they just keep they just keep missing it. Jimmy, you're a pastor. Your testimony's on the line. Let it go. You, it's going to cost you 30 seconds, but you'll be out of here pretty soon. Your testimony is on the line. Jeff, I thought about this the other day when we had the meeting with the fire department, the city of Concord. You know, when we put up our big white tent out on the land for our... Um, uh, our birthday celebration out there, we have, we, have to, we have to have a certificate for that. I can't even remember what it, what it is, but the fire department has to come out and look and see that there aren't chairs blocking people's way out of a tent. And I remind you that it's open 100 feet on each side and 40 feet on each end. I mean, you could run and scatter from every direction, but they want to see that there are aisles and there are fire extinguishers and all of that kind of stuff. 
And uh, we had been trying to get these guys to come out for a while, and finally they came out at the last minute. And man, I just really wanted to tell this fire inspector everything I thought about us having to have this fire certificate and these aisles and all the chairs. And there are about 300 of them in there. They had to be... um, uh, connected together. So we had to put little plastic ties around all of them. I wanted to just tell him how stupid I thought all of that was. And then we go into a meet, meeting with the city of Concord and the fire department to talk about our water flow issues. And there's that guy sitting at that table. And he's the one that has a lot to do with making that decision. I just thought, oh, thank you, Lord, <laughs> that I still have a testimony in front of this guy. You understand what I'm saying, don't you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their testimony was on the line. Your testimony is on the line. Here's number four. Your faith in God will put you into direct conflict with the world. Your your faith in God and being obedient to him will put you in direct conflict with the world. So the astrologers come in and say to Nebuchadnezzar, hey, these these guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not bowing down. They're not being loyal to you. And he they kind of invoke this thing inside of them where, hey, Um, you're partly responsible because you put these guys in leadership roles. And and some of the emotion that they're trying to get out of Nebuchadnezzar because they're manipulating him. Don't miss that. Part of what they're trying to do is say, these guys owe you. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar felt that way. Hey, you guys are just captives living here. You, You could be out there putting bricks in the furnace. You could be out there smelting the metals. You could be um, working in the temple of my gods. It's only by my good grace that I've put you in this leadership role. And so the king is furious. And verse 19 says that when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego says, we will only serve our God We will not serve your idols. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the image that his attitude toward them changed. I mean, just a little while ago, he's promoting these guys. He thinks that they're awesome. They're not a whole lot of fun, but he really likes them. And now he wants to kill him. This is a warning. That if you get real about your faith, and your faith in God is not just something that you talk about, but you live it out, it will put you in direct conflict. And sometimes the people are as big and powerful as Nebuchadnezzar. And sometimes you'll be surprised and hurt by the people right around you whose attitude will change toward you because you are serious about your faith. Young people, are you hearing me? 
It will happen, Brian. It will happen at school if you are serious about your faith. Adults here, it will happen to you because, listen, when you go to Myrtle Beach on that golf outing with your buddies and you've played your 36 holes and now they want to go back and get showers, go out to have a good dinner and then go to the strip club, they're not going to understand that you don't want to go to the strip club anymore. Maybe you have in the past, but you don't want to go there anymore because now you're in church and you're trying to take your faith in God seriously. You're trying to take your marriage commitment with your wife seriously, and you're trying to have a God-honoring marriage. They're not going to understand that. There could be some ridicule to that. Listen, you might not get invited on the next golf retreat, and that's okay. And I wanted to tell you that it's okay. Ladies, some of you, your girlfriends are not going to understand about the commitment that you have made to God and to try to be a godly wife and a godly mother and to have your family in church on Sundays and at the Lord's house. They're not going to always understand that because there are going to be things that they want to do on Sunday morning or at other times that they just think are more fun and you ought to think that they're more fun too. They're not going to understand. It may change the nature of some of your relationships. And let me tell you why that happens a lot of times. Because because when you are trying to live out the light of the gospel in your life, it will shine the light onto their darkness. It will make them uncomfortable. And so you just need to know that your commitment to God may change some things. It may change some relationships. But you have to decide which relationship are you going to put your focus on. Somebody who's trying to say goodbye to you because of your faith in God? Or are you going to let your relationship with God be the relationship that suffers? And finally... Number five, always remember that God is with you when your faith is under fire. When you are in the fire, and I think that God brought some of you here today, if, if for nothing else, to hear this. When you're going through it, whatever it is, do, do you ever wonder where God is at? It, it's almost sort of a natural thing, isn't it? And certainly that was true for these captives who are living in Babylon. There, there had to be those moments where they said, hey, we've had a revival in our land. We're committed to you. We're committed to your word. We're your people and you've let this pagan king come in and destroy our walls and destroy our cities. And now the people of God, your chosen people, we are captives in this pagan land. Where are you? And this story speaks directly to that. Their questions of God, where are you? And to yours, God, where are you? He is in the fire. It's a supernatural event when Nebuchadnezzar looks into that fire 
and jumps up and says, didn't we throw in three men? Yet I'm looking there and there are four men and they're not bound anymore. And they're just walking around. And the fourth one looks like the sons of the God. And that's the best way that a pagan king could say there is a supernatural being in that fire. And I'll tell you who that is. I believe that that is an, a, a pre-incarnation appearance of the Christ. To make a long story short, it's God in the fire. It's God in the furnace. And I know that some of you have walked in this morning going, I'm in the furnace. I'm going through my own hell. Whatever that is, where is God? The answer is that he is in the flames with you. Nebuchadnezzar is just blown away once again because you remember from chapter 1 that God is after Nebuchadnezzar too. He wants Nebuchadnezzar's attention. He wants his life. Nebuchadnezzar said, and he says it out, out loud for everyone to hear, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no God can save in this way. Those verses speak to the greatness and the glory and the power of God and to the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are words of favor and of blessing. But for Nebuchadnezzar, they are words of condemnation. Because once again, Nebuchadnezzar has come face to face with the true and living God. And still, still, he is not willing to step over the line to say, yes, this is God, the only God. He's only willing to say, this is a great God. This is a powerful God. He's a God I'd like to get to know. But he's just one of the gods. So close, but not quite. You know, some of you here this morning are so close to getting this thing right. But in being so close, you're so far away from God. Because your faith is a, is a faux faith. It, it's, not, it's, not, it's not real. It's a veneer faith. It looks like an all-brick house on the outside. But when you start examining it, it's just not. It looks real. It looks good. And, and when troubles come, it looks really good. 
but it's it's hollow. And you're not trusting the word. You're not chasing after God. You're not really following him. When the times of compromise come, you bend and you break. In fact, you know, at Rocky River Church, we're the, we're the church that our advertising campaign is, you know, like it is at a, at a steakhouse. You know, if the steakhouse is good, you're telling all your friends about where they ought to be eating. We're dependent on you that if you like Rocky River Church, that you're telling all your friends where to go and eat the bread of life. And the reason that some of you can't invite your friends and family to come to church with you is because you live a life of compromise. And so when crisis comes, you're just blown all over the place. Your window, that mirror that you are used to seeing God in, you can see him a little here and a little there, but there's a spider web crack and you can't see him clearly. And it may very well be because you've never completely trusted God. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're still trying to have it both ways like Nebuchadnezzar. I'll take a little bit of God and a little bit of the other stuff. And it does not work that way with God. I want you to just bow for a minute, just in silent prayer. And I want you to think about where you are right now. I mean, what is your faith like, really like? You don't have to worry about anybody else around you. This is not about the person next to you, in front of you, or behind you. This is just about you and God. What's he telling you right now? What's he saying about your commitment to him? I know that for some of you, maybe many of you, God is saying, it's time to take me seriously. It's time to either be committed to me or to take the little sign of the fish off your business card and off your checks and your back bumper of your car. So I want to pray with you. God, I'm not going to give a full-blown invitation this morning. Instead, I just, I just want to pray over these people, your people. I believe, and it's why I've named the series Impact, that you want these stories from Daniel to make an impact in our lives so that we can make an impact 
on the lives of the people around us. And God, that is not going to happen if we don't take our faith seriously. And so God, right now I pray that you would make that solid in our lives and in our hearts and our minds for every person in here. And that we would walk out this morning saying, I'm going to trust God no matter what. I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. No matter the crisis, no matter the temptation, no matter the cost, I'm going to be firm in my commitment to God. And I'm going to let Him make an impact on my life so that I can make an impact on others and this world for him. And God, I kind of feel like I'm repeating myself, but I just feel so passionate about this. Burden us with this. I know we have lots of burdens, but God, I pray that living for you would move to the front of our burdens, the front of our lives. where nothing else is more important than being faithful to you. In Jesus' name.